0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Father, your name is excellent and it is mighty. The Son's name is glorious and exalted. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that glorifies Christ and exalts his name in our hearts so that we might join in in the exaltation of the greatness and the power and the might, and the fame of your name. Thank you, Lord God, that together we can worship you in song. As we turn our attention to your word, would we worship you as we listen attentively and believe the scriptures, Lord, and through faith, by your power, would you transform our lives and change us into the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, please grab your Bible with me and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. Today we're going to consider Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 to verse 15. I wonder, what does confidence look like to you? What does confidence look like to you? If you had your most confidence in your job or school or sport, what would it look like if you lived that out? When I think of confidence, sometimes I think of um, pro-athletes, pro-athletes who are in an elimination game, make or break, and the captain tells the reporters, I guarantee that we will win, right. Or maybe when you think of confidence yourself, you think of a student who's studied all of the papers and knows all of the information and goes in ready to take the exam. Or a sales associate who knows this sale, getting this client is so important and the presentation is ready and they go in and they are confident that they'll make the sale. Confidence, though, the attitude isn't enough. It needs to be backed up with action because you don't have the action and you go in with a confident attitude, then you could just like fall flat on your face. You could get destroyed by the other team. You could flop the exam. You could miss the sale. The attitude needs to be backed up by the action. And sometimes in our walk with Christ, in the journey of Christianity, in our faith, we do fall flat on our faces We try and make the jump, we try and obey, but we fail, we sin, we fall short. In the book of Colossians, we've been learning about what it means to strive for full maturity in Christ. Paul taught about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in the face of false teaching so that he could present them mature in Christ. And today, we're gonna learn from God's word how we can have confidence. Confidence not only in attitude, but confidence with action to be able to strive for maturity. But not action that comes from ourselves. Action that has been completed in Christ. Because we do fall flat on our face. But in Christ, we can have confidence. So this is what we're going to learn today from God's word. The gospel is reason to have confidence. The gospel is a reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. And through the sufficiency of Christ, we have all that we need to strive for full maturity. The gospel is reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. And today we're going to learn four impacts of the gospel in our lives. Four impacts of the gospel in our lives that give reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. So as we do, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Colossians chapter two, verse 10 to verse 15. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism shame by triumphing over them in him you can take your seats church the gospel is reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of christ and we're going to learn four impacts of the gospel in our lives that give a reason to have this confidence here's the first impact through the gospel our sin is stripped away Through the gospel, our sin is stripped away. The impact of the gospel that I'm talking about is the way that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms and changes, impacts our life. And the first one that this passage teaches us is that through the gospel, our sin is stripped away. Notice in verse 11 how Paul introduces a metaphor to be able to explain how we've been changed in Christ. That metaphor is circumcision. Says in him, verse eleven. In him you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a surgical procedure that all male Jews were required to perform, so to signify that they were a part of the covenant people of God, to signify that they had a share in the blessing that God made to the father of their nation, Abraham. When the Apostle Paul is referring to circumcision here, he's not saying that there's a new or different or even the same mark that we need to put on our body to signify that we have a part in God's blessing. He's using circumcision, the surgical procedure of circumcision, as a metaphor to explain what happens when we are born again in Christ Jesus. In circumcision, this surgical procedure, a small, small part of the flesh is stripped away from the body. When Christians put their faith in Jesus Christ, though, not just a small part of their spiritual nature, but their entire old spiritual nature is stripped away. Notice this stripping that it talks about. Verse 11, you are circumcised without hands, it's spiritual, by putting off the body of flesh, our old nature, by the circumcision of Christ. You see, each one of us, when we were born, inherited both spiritual and biological DNA. When you were born, you inherited your parents' biological DNA. You're after their likeness. When you were born, you also inherited your spiritual parents' spiritual DNA. And all of us share the same parents of spiritual birth, and that's Adam and Eve we've inherited their spiritual DNA, which theologians call a nature that is totally depraved. Every human being is born dead in their sins. And flesh, the word flesh, is a word that signifies theologically that nature. When you see the word flesh in Scripture, often it refers to our old nature. What does it mean that we're totally depraved? Every human, apart from Christ, At birth, me apart from Christ, you apart from Christ. Being totally depraved means that you're corrupt in your nature. And apart from Christ, I am too. That our will and our desires bend away from God's goodness and away from God's way and towards our own way, which is a way of evil. We're corrupt. Not only are we corrupt, but we're cursed. We're corrupt. Were cursed, were cursed when, when humanity sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, their work was cursed, their reproduction was cursed, but in being cursed, they were separated from God. God created humanity in his image to enjoy a relationship with him, but the curse separated us from that relationship. They were cast out from the garden, and in the same way, we're born separated from God. The image that he created us in is, is tainted, it's broken we're corrupt, we're cursed, not only that, we're condemned. Because in its essence, sin is lawlessness. First John says that. Sin is lawlessness. And if there's a law that we've broken, there's a punishment under the law that we deserve. And that punishment under the law is the wrath of God being tormented in a real place for all of eternity. That's our nature that's human nature apart from Christ cursed and corrupt and condemned but the good news remember this is about having confidence today the good news is that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ that old flesh that you were born with has been stripped away you spiritually it has been removed with the not uh, As it says, you've been uh, made with a circumcision, made without hands. God's divinely stripped it away from you. We are no longer corrupt in our nature. There's a new heart that God's given us. And like a magnet, our old heart was drawn towards sin. But our new heart, through grace, is drawn towards obedience and righteousness by love. And by his grace, we're not corrupt, we're cleansed, the curse has been removed. See, Christ was separated from the Father. Christ was forsaken by the Father when he was crucified on the cross. He suffered our curse. He was forsaken by the Father so that we could be reunited to a relationship with the Father. Our corruption is cleansed, the curse is removed, and the condemnation is redirected. Because Christ suffered the wrath of God in our place. And now the good news for you, Christian, is that because the old self is stripped away, you can confess the confession of Romans 8 verse 1 that says there is therefore no longer no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. The old self is stripped away. And Paul knows this is true for the Colossians. He reminds them of it, to have confidence in it, and he knows this is personal for the Colossians, that they have been born again, that they've been converted, and he makes it personal for them by reminding them that they were baptized. Look at verse 12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the second aspect of the gospel that gives us reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. Our sin is stripped away, and through the gospel, we are raised to new life. Through the gospel, we are raised to new life. Baptism is an outward, physical symbol of an inward, spiritual reality. When you were submerged into the water, you are spiritually identifying with Jesus Christ. As you were submerged into the water, so it was as you died with Christ when you put your faith in him. Not at baptism, but when you previously put your faith in him. And baptism signifies that you died with Christ and being brought back out of the water signifies that you were raised to new life with Christ. Not at baptism, but previously when you believed in Christ. And baptism is the, is the symbol, the spiritual symbol of the inward spiritual reality. Paul's reminding them that they have new life and that their new life was through faith. They were raised through faith, it says. Faith in what? Faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Christian, as the father raised the son from the dead in righteousness and new life, so by faith in Jesus, he has raised you from spiritual death into new spiritual life and you have the promise of eternal life in heaven and the hope of eternal life with god now you've been raised to new life but i ask you friend have you been baptized maybe the answer is no i haven't is that because you've never put your faith in jesus Maybe you've not come to recognize what the Holy Scriptures says about all of humanity, what generations past have recognized but now have deluded or intentionally forgot that we are cursed, we are corrupt, we are condemned. Friend, if you know that what the Scripture says is true about you, but you haven't believed in Jesus, today is the day that you can have new life. Today is the day that that old self can be stripped away. Today is the day that you can know that the God who created you looks on you in love and sent his own son to suffer so that you could be saved. And believe in Jesus today and be baptized. Believe in him and be baptized as in obedience and identifying with him. Turn from your sin, believe in him. Your old self will be stripped away. You will be raised to new life. Well, maybe you have believed him and you haven't been baptized. And I would ask you, Christian, why? I spent a lot of time in youth ministry and I would ask this question a lot of youth and the answer they would generally give is, well, I'm not ready yet. It kind of makes baptism out to something like the high jump, right? Like I need, I'm not at the bar yet. I see other people jumping the bar. I see other people praying. I see other people serving. I see other people giving. I see other people sharing the gospel. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready yet. That's not what baptism is. Baptism isn't that you've reached a level to be able to jump over a bar and now you're qualified to be able to be baptized. Baptism isn't like making the jump, uh, uh, making over the bar on the high jump. Baptism is more like your coach has given you your jersey so that you can get into the competition, right? Baptism is saying, I'm on the team. Not I'm the best person on the team or I'm even average on the team, but just I'm on the team. And you're not on the team because you made the cut. You're on the team because you got drafted onto the team. God chose you. If you're on the team... Get in the baptism tank. It's not about getting to a bar. It's about being on the team. It's the only qualification is that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you've repented of your sins. It would be my joy to see Mark George, who oversees baptism, flooded in his email inbox with too many emails this week with many people saying, I need to be baptized because I believe in Christ and I've been putting this off. Please make his week a hard week. you're on the team, identify with Christ. He loves you, he died for you. Then it doesn't matter who else is watching, but that God is watching. The gospel is reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. Through the gospel, our sin is stripped away Through the gospel, we are raised to new life. Here's why this matters as we want to reach and strive for full maturity. Because remember, that's the goal. That's the main theme of Colossians, the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ so that we can reach full maturity in Christ. How does the knowledge of the gospel give us confidence that Christ is sufficient for us to reach full maturity? Well, remember verse 9 and verse 10. Look into the scriptures with me there. It says, For in him, Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means Jesus is God. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Here's why this matters for Christian maturity. Because Christian, you have been filled in Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that you have a new identity in Christ? And the knowledge of your new identity is power for you to be transformed. Faith in the fullness of Christ filled in us is sufficient power for us to reach full maturity. Faith in the fullness of Christ is sufficient power for us to reach full maturity because the knowledge of our new identity in Christ changes our heart, renews our mind, and thereby transforms our life. Christian, the knowledge of your new identity in Christ and that you have been filled in him and faith in that fullness will change your heart. Transform or renew your mind and transform your life. It's like put down the oars and stop rowing in your own power and lift up the sail and let the wind carry you to new change. I was baptized nearly 15 years ago in the fall of 2004. I was 14 years old and I had faith many years before that, but I, I delayed baptism not because I w- didn't think I wasn't ready, but because I didn't understand what it meant that I was united with Jesus. I didn't understand what it meant. I didn't understand the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. I've shared this story before with the church, but it's worth sharing it again because it's so personal to me. It means so much to me. When I was 14 years old, 15 years old, I grew up in a church and all of my Christian friends, maybe I should say Christian friends in air quotes, all of my Christian friends were uh, partying, right? Right? They played hockey, and they went out and partied after. And Friday night after school, they partied. And I wanted to, too, because I knew what happened at parties. I knew how girls dressed at parties, and I wanted to be there as well. But I, this conflict in me was like, I'm a Christian. Am I allowed? I wanted to. But that summer in the, fall, in the summer of 2004, I went to a three-week Christian camp, and I was challenged to read God's word for myself. And I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes and read Ecclesiastes 11:9, and it says this: "Be happy, young man, while you are young. Cool. Let your heart bring you joy in the days of your youth. Great. Follow your heart in whatever your eyes see. Okay. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment." I recognized that there's a cost to following Jesus but it was more valuable to say no to that because of who I was in Christ. Notice how the gospel changes your motivation to obedience and maturity. God wants us to strive for maturity. Christian, God wants you to be disciplined in prayer and Bible meditation. God wants you to be disciplined in Christ like character, like self control. God wants you to have godly relationships with friends and family. God wants you to have a righteous work ethic, whether at school or in your job. And He wants you to have a righteous worth ethic as you work for the kingdom. God wants you to strive for spiritual disciplines, for Christ-like character, for godly relationships, to work for the kingdom. But watch how the gospel changes your heart and your mind and transforms your life. Not by your effort, but by your faith. It's not that more habits of more prayer means I'm more loved by God. It's not that more character, like more self-control, means that I've earned more of God's favor. It's not that more obedient children means that I'm more of a reputable man, or that more kingdom work, like more evangelism, means I'm more holier than other Christians. Because of the gospel, I want to pray more because I'm already united in a loving relationship with God because of His grace. Because of the gospel, I want to guide my children to obey me as their father so that they can see an example of the heavenly father who truly loves them and how they can have a relationship with him. I want to share the gospel more because I've found freedom in Christ Jesus. And by golly, I want others to know that freedom too. I want to be more self-controlled. And I want to say no to sin and put it to death because I know that Jesus died for that sin. And how could I love what God so clearly hates and sent his son to die for? Do you see the change? Do you see the new perspective, the reorientation, the knowledge of our fullness in Christ changes our heart, renews our mind, transforms our life? And not by your effort, but by your faith that you are filled with his fullness. Christian, your sin has been stripped away, believe it. You are raised to new life, believe it. There are so many beautiful, wondrous qualities of the gospel. The gospel is like a perfect diamond. If you're thinking about getting engaged, you need to know three things about diamonds the cut, the cut of the diamond the color of the diamond, and the, what's the third C? Clarity, thank you. Yeah, cost. Well, I mean, the the more those things, the bigger the cost, right? (laughs) (laughs) You want to know a good diamond, cut, color, clarity. And if a perfect diamond, when you look at it, when you turn it just one angle, you see a new beam shine out of it. And you can stare at that, and then you turn to another angle, and you see another glorious beam shining out of it. And the gospel is like that. You can never tire of looking at another angle of the gospel. The gospel is reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. It strip, our sins are stripped away. We are raised to new life. Here's the third impact of the gospel that gives reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. Through the gospel, our debts are abolished. I hope this sermon is encouraging to you. And some of you, I hope this part particularly will be relieving because you may be carrying burdens of guilt and burdens of shame, but this is good news that of peace and hope. Through the gospel, our debts are abolished. Look at the text with me, verse 13. It says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, Christian, when you were still covered in your sinful flesh before Christ and God stripped it of you, in our flesh, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. But when we're made alive, the debt that we couldn't repay For the sin that we've done against a holy God, that debt was paid with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were forgiven. The debt was canceled, and not only canceled, it was set aside. And there's a unique word that the Scripture uses here to describe our debt, our sin. Look at the text with me, verse 13. You see that word? And you were dead in your trespasses, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Trespass is a theological word that describes an aspect of sin. And you might not be familiar with the theology of trespassing, but you know what trespassing is. You know what trespassing is every time you see a sign like this on the side of the road or in front of property that isn't yours, right? No trespassing violators will be prosecuted. Okay, so that's someone else's property and they don't want me on it. And if I'm on it, Bad things are gonna happen. That's what trespassing is. It's treading on ground that does not belong to us where we should not be. And God, through his word, according to his law, has shown us the boundary of human living. And it's a boundary that God has given us that's for our good. God's given us law and rule and for our good, he's given us boundaries that are good for sexuality, for money, for work ethic, for dating, for parenting. And the boundaries that God has given us don't mean to inhibit us or restrict us. But as God created humanity and designed humanity, doesn't the designer and creator know how it works best? And wouldn't his boundaries be before our good... But humanity just likes treading it on whatever ground it wants. It doesn't want to follow someone else's definition of good. It wants to define its own good. But all the pain, all the suffering that our world experiences is because we trespass God's boundary for human living. But the good news is that, yes, in God's law, violators will be prosecuted, but Christ was prosecuted for us, was he not? He bore our trespasses. He bore our sins. He was punished so that we could be pardoned. Our sins, our trespasses are forgiven. Our debts are canceled. Not only canceled, but also set aside. What's the difference between these two? Debts canceled, debts set aside, where I could make a comparison to a contemporary culture to help us understand. It can be hard to pay off credit card debt. Most of us don't pay with cash anymore to use plastic cards, Interact, or or credit. And sometimes if you rack up credit card debt, interest fees are high, and it's really hard to pay off. But let's say you pay it off. You might be debt-free, but after having really bad credit card debt, the problem is being debt-free doesn't mean that your credit score is changed. You might be debt-free but wherever you go, whatever you do, the score still follows you. You can't get that loan or you gotta go to a third-party lender now and now they have higher fees and yeah, you might be debt-free, but man, this thing still follows you around. That's not the way it is in Christ. When Christ forgives your debt, he cancels it perfectly because he paid it And then he attributes the score of his perfect righteousness to your account. Cancelled. Set aside. And this may be relieving to you today because, friend, you may be carrying around burdens of regret and shame and fear that just keep you down. You know that you're forgiven in Christ you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm forgiven. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm loved. But some of you have like massive regrets of the past. And because you have regrets in the past, you know God loves you and you know you're forgiven, but it feels like you're playing with, you're not playing with a full deck. Because of what I've done, like, can I actually reach full maturity? Can I actually be full in Christ? I did all of these things in Christ. There may, there may be real-world consequences for your sins of the past, but now in Christ, you, regardless of the past, are filled with the fullness of God, just like that perfect Sunday school kid who, perfect Sunday school kid who put their faith in Jesus at like six years old. It doesn't matter that you're 16 years old and you've already made adult decisions or you're 26 years old and you've done so many horrible things, that your past, your regrets in Christ, you are still filled with His fullness equally as everyone else. God doesn't look at your past that way. You need not either debt canceled, set aside. But some of you might not have regrets out of the past. you might have insecurities about your present because you see that you're not on the same level as other people. You compare yourself to others and you feel like, I'm not like them. Can I ever really reach what they have? And it feels like you're putting together a puzzle that you know is missing pieces because you don't have what they have. But in Christ, you are filled with his fullness as everyone else is filled with his fullness by faith in him. You're not putting together a puzzle piece that is missing Mises, you have all you need in the fullness of Christ. No regrets of the past, no uncertainties of the future, confidence in the sufficiency of Christ because of the gospel. You can have this, Christian. Your debts are abolished. Your sin is stripped. You have new life. You have all that you need in Christ alone. Trust in him. Let go of your past as Christ has let go of your past. Look, set your eyes on Christ rather than setting your eyes on other people and what they have. And you can have confidence. Four impacts of the gospel that give reason for us to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. Not only is our sin stripped away and we are raised to new life and our debts are abolished, but also enemy forces have been vanquished. See, we are fighting a fight against a real enemy, but the good news is is that we have a champion on our side. We have the MVP. We have the ringer. It's no contest because Christ has already won. Look at the text with me, Colossians 2, verse 15. It says, he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, By triumphing over them in him. Through the gospel, enemy forces are anchored. When I mean enemy forces, I mean demonic powers. We learned a few weeks ago that this reference, rulers and authorities, in verse 15, do you see that in your Bible? He disarmed the rulers and authorities. We learned a few weeks ago that this is a reference to demonic forces. In chapter 1 verse 16 we see that these demonic forces are naturally inferior to Christ because Christ created them verse 16 says by him all things are created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities Ephesians chapter 15 specifically clarifies the truth that these rulers and authorities are demonic powers and be sure there are invisible spiritual beings, the Bible identifies as demons, that are now at work in this world. First John chapter 3 says that they are trying to keep us shackled in our sin, that the work of the devil is sin. And what he does to be able to try and tempt Christians to sin and keep unbelievers blind in their sin is lie. That's the one weapon our enemy has. Lies that aggravate sin and tempt us to sin. But the good news is Christ disarmed them at the cross. All they have is lies that aggravate and tempt to sin, but Jesus defeated the power of sin when he died on the cross. And Jesus is the truth that overcomes the lies. They have been disarmed. You might not know much about comic books, but you probably know the name of that special rock that Lex Luthor uses to try and keep Superman weak and lose his powers. What's the name of that rock again? Kryptonite, right? It's from like his home world Krypton and whoever comes close into proximity to it, it's like the only thing that loses his power, right? Lex Luthor's just a dude, right? He's just a human, sure he's smart, but there's a lot of smart people in the world Maybe his superpower is being bald or something. I don't know. Lex Luthor is just a guy who has one weapon, kryptonite. Take kryptonite away and Superman wins. Every time, no contest, bald guy dead, right? Jesus has taken away the one thing that the enemy can use against Christians. Sin has been defeated by Christ in the cross. He can try and lie to you, but Christ is the truth. Put your faith in the truth, knowing that He has defeated the power of sin, and you're fighting a toothless, defeated enemy. Not only a defeated enemy, but a shamed enemy. Look, it says that Jesus put them to open shame by triumphing them over Him. I really like sport celebrations. Right? When a team scores, when a team uh, wins and teams celebrate, some people are like, oh, it's unsportsmanlike. I think it's neat. It's, it's, a, it's entertainment. Sports are entertainment. I think bat flips are cool. Touchdown celebrations are great. Let's have more of them. It's fun. Okay? But in, in sports, like some people, they get penalized for unsportsmanlike conduct. But my favorite celebration, mm, my favorite type of celebration is like that one, if you know Basketball that Allen Iverson did over Tyron Lue many years ago. Some people are like, who is that? And like, when, a, when a player takes a move and gets a three-point shot over the other player in such a bad way that the defender actually falls on the ground, but then the player who shot it scores, and on the ground, he just steps over top of the player that he just made the shot over, and wow, that guy looks like a fool. Not only did I beat you, but I'm going to shame you. I'm going to show everyone how foolish you are. That's what Christ did in the cross to the devil. He's a fool. He knows his days are numbered. He knows the lake of fire is waiting for him. He's defeated. He's shamed, but he's trying hard. We learned last week about all the false teaching that demonic influencing happens in our world. And I just focused on two last week. I could tell the message week after week after week after week until the day that Jesus calls me home and not stop talking about the false teaching. And in the book of Colossians, they were being influenced by false teaching through demonic teachers that was trying to keep them inflicted with man-made myths, insisting on rigid rules that minimized the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, church, we need to be thoughtfully discerning. There's so many things out there online, on podcasts, on TV. They're just man made myths. They just insist on rigid rules. It's repackaged heresy for the 21st century. We need to be thoughtfully discerning. Christ is supreme, Christ is sufficient. And anything other than his fullness and his supremacy and his sufficiency, it's from foolish, shamed, defeated liars. You have Christ in his fullness, and he's defeated these things. You need him, and you need him alone. A message of Christianity advocated that minimizes Christ, loses all of Christ. Christ. Enemy forces are vanquished. Be discerning about what is out there that would minimize the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You have been filled with his fullness. In him, you have all that you need. In him, our sin is stripped away. We are raised to new life. Our debts have been abolished and enemy forces are vanquished. The gospel is a reason for you to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ so that you can strive for full maturity in him. But maybe you lack that confidence today. Maybe you've been doing a lot of falling flat on your face recently. Do you think today's the day, today's the day, I'm not gonna fall into this sin. I'm not gonna go to this website. I'm not gonna have that same argument with the same person. I'm not gonna tell that same lie. I'm not gonna be jealous, I'm not gonna covet. Maybe you do a lot of falling on your face like I do. What can you do if you lack confidence? We have all that we need in the gospel. What can you do if you lack confidence? I would say this, church. If you lack confidence in the sufficiency of Christ, learn to live with that day one faith every day. Learn to live with that day one faith every day. Do you remember what it was like when you first believed in Christ? Do you remember what it was like when you first believed in the gospel? Do you remember the joy and the confidence that you had when you chose to be baptized? I think the reason that we lack confidence in the power of God is because we treat the gospel like a novelty, right? You know novelty things. Maybe you've been to the Markham Fair before or you've been downtown to... uh, Uh, to the CNE and you played this game and you threw a dart against the board and great, you won a teddy bear, it's just dumpster filler, right? It might be pretty and you give it to your girlfriend, you give it to your wife, you give it to your daughter, but it's cute for a day and then people forget it. Wow, you got the newest gadget and phone, that's fantastic, don't worry, another one's coming out in a year. And the excitement that you have for it now, it's gonna be passed because they're gonna release a new one or... Remember when you had your first crush and she was the one and then you went into grade four <laughs> and someone else was there? But this is what we do with Christ. This is what we do with the gospel. Do you feel like you've lost your first love? Do you feel like you've forgotten what it is to have your soul burning with love for Jesus Christ, has the gospel become a novelty to you? I would exhort you with the word of Christ in Revelation chapter two, where he says, this I have against you, you have abandoned the love that you have at first. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If you feel like you've lost in your first love, if you feel like you've made the gospel a novelty and you don't have confidence anymore, learn to live with that day one faith every day. The gospel is not a novelty. It is the power of God. Let, let's consider some of the passages of scripture that may be, may be so familiar to you, but are so so powerful and so mighty. Probably the verse that becomes the biggest novelty is John 3.16. People tattoo it on their arms and write it on billboards. But do you, do you know and can you rejoice today in the promise of John 3.16? For God so loved the world. Wait, the sinful world? Yeah, the world that hated him. God loved that world and me in that world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son? He gave his perfect son, who amongst us would give our children for some of For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Christian, you have eternal life. This life is hard, but this life is short, and eternity is long and one day, every tear will be wiped away from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be any mourning or any crying for the former things are passed away. You have paradise waiting for you. But we love our gadgets and our worldliness. Now have hope. Don't make it a novelty. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? In him... He who knew no sin became our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wait, you mean Christ knew no sin? Like spotless, pure, blameless, stainless? And me, full of blame, full of stain, full of impurity? All my unrighteousness went on him and I received all of his blameless, unstained purity? Yes. You have trespassed God a lot Today, as I have, let alone yesterday, let alone last week, let alone 2019, let alone your whole life. But it's gone. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 9? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God's word says that He became poor so that by His poverty we might become rich. Jesus didn't need to leave heaven. Jesus was in the wealth of the riches of heaven, but he came down to the poverty of this world and bore the poverty of our sin so that you might have an inheritance, so that you might receive eternal life. Let not the gospel become a novelty. Live with that day one faith every day. The gospel is reason to have confidence in the sufficiency of Christ. And by that gospel, in his sufficiency, you can reach full maturity. So live by faith in that every day. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, restore to us the joy of our salvation. We can lose it a lot, we can lose it quickly. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, God, please. This is my prayer, my only prayer for the church. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Many of us have lost it. Many of us have seen it grow cold. Many of us see a little flame, but the embers starting to die out. Many of us are quenching it. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord. And in that joy, with faith in the fullness of Christ filled in us, Lord God, would you build our church up in maturity? Thank you that we have all we have in, all that we have we have in Christ. Thank you. And thank you that faith in the gospel is sufficient for us to reach that full maturity. Lord, let the knowledge of our new identity every day saturate our thinking before the news we listen to each day, before the social media we scroll through, Lord, let the knowledge of the gospel saturate our thinking every day. And by faith in that, would you change our hearts, renew our mind, and transform our lives into the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.